Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 149 of The Big Cruise Podcast. Yes, we're just one away from the uh, big 150, and uh, I haven't actually got anything planned to celebrate, so I need to, to get onto that. <laughs> Now, in today's show, Chris will be joining us in just a moment. We have got listener questions, maritime history, cruise news, and I do believe Chris has got a sneaky little fact or fiction for me as well. So it's going to be a great show. And this show was recorded over the weekend of the 15th, 16th of July. Now, of course, it is uh, the best time to be traveling through Northern Europe and uh, North America. So the Northern Hemisphere in general is very busy at this time of year. We want to know where you're off to. And if you're visiting for the first time or you're uh, heading off to uh, visit a firm favorite uh, once again, let us know where you're heading to. You can do so, of course, via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. Click on Join the Show. You can uh, leave us your name, tell us where you're going, or you can do it anonymously. And likewise, if you do want to uh, set up a cruise review, uh, we can arrange that as well. Very, very easy to do. And we've got a couple of up for the upcoming episodes. Now, once again, thank you to those of you who are listening, liking, and subscribing. Uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, we really do appreciate those reviews and the, the recommendations. It uh, makes a big difference, and uh, we do really, really appreciate that. But I think it's time to uh, to get this show on the road. Let's get Chris on the line. Let's start talking all things cruise. Enjoy the show. And it's time to welcome back for the 149th time, Chris Frame. How are you, mate? 149, my goodness. Actually, I'm probably one shorter than that at 148 because I remember that one episode when I was on Coral Princess, you had Leighton fill in for me. So, ah, actually, yeah, you might so be right. 148th time, but that still is amazing, isn't it? I know, I know. So we're fast approaching the 150th and I've planned absolutely nothing. So uh, we'll see where we Uh, land on the 150th. Maybe we should go on a cruise, Baz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice. No ships out of Fremantle at the minute, though, mate. There's nothing around. Exactly. We might have to uh, find a ferry somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go and see the quokkas on Rotnest. That sounds like a good idea. <clears throat> 
leave it with me. Let's see what we can do. Um, right, mate, let's uh, jump in. Have you got a bit of maritime history for us this week? Well, I'm going to do something that's probably going to make you um, cheer with, with excitement because before starting yeah. maritime history, I've got a fact or fiction for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, let's do it. Hit me. Fact or fiction. So in 1913, the Hamburg America liner Imperator was put into service. And this ship was a great rival to Cunard's Aquitania, and both ships were being built at roughly the same time. And Aquitania was on paper uh, longer than the Imperator. So, fact or fiction, to best the Cunarda, Hamburg America Line commissioned the creation of a giant bronze eagle and attached it to the bow of Imperator to make it longer than Aquitania. A giant bronze eagle. I was going to say no, but an eagle would tie in quite nicely with the name Imperator, so I've got absolutely no idea, but I'm going to say fact. Hey, well done. Congratulations. Oh. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> yes, so they... they be heavy, um, though. A bronze eagle would be heavy on the front of a ship. Well, there we go, you see, because basically this giant bronze eagle was commissioned um, by a... a um, well, it was put together by an artist and professor, Bruno Krusk of Berlin, who who built it. Um, and it was a, it was attached to the to the forepeak, right at the bow of the ship. <laughs> but during um, an Atlantic storm, the eagle was actually knocked off. <laughs> so, oh, did they ever um, lost recover it? The bottom of the ocean? No, no, it's the middle of the Atlantic. Ooh. So um, they actually they never replaced it. They actually put scroll work on the front. So for a very brief period, the ship was. Um, the ship was uh, longer than Aquitania, but not for, not for long. Um, <laughs> and now I'm going to go and double down and say I've got another fact or fiction for you about this same ship. If you're if you're feeling lucky, yeah, go on. I'm not good on this particular line, but yeah, go on, hit me up. <laughs> so the ship itself was it listed Imperator listed listed so badly during its early career that they called it Limperator. It's so was... daft. It's got to be true. Fact. <laughs> You're too good. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so obviously, Hamburg America Line didn't call it Limperator, but it was called that by the press because the ship oh. would list into port limping in, and the the the, um, the pilots and tugboat captains used to used to have a bit of a joke at the ship's expense. Um, <laughs> now, uh, the the third one, Baz, if you're if you're going for a hat trick, really is. Um, this ship ended up sailing as Cunard's Berengaria. Ooh. I think she did go to Cunard, but I don't know whether you might be tricking me with the name. It might have gone as a different ship, so I'm going to say fiction. Oh, you should have gone with fact. <laughs> so this was the one. This was the okay. one. So she, um, after after the war, um, after World War One, she was... Um, given across to to Cunard. Well, actually, Cunard purchased it at, at a like crazily reduced price. In, in conjunction with White Star Line, actually, they purchased this ship and the um, Bismarck, which went on to become the Majestic for um, for White Star Line, and the two ships were, were operated by their British companies. And that kind of links us into what the maritime history topic was because I just wanted to share the story um, of yeah. Imperator. If you're, if you're interested in hearing more about the ship that you got um, – yeah, what was that? Two two thirds correct in your factual fictions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it, mate. Fill us a let's let's do maritime history. 
Yeah, so the, this ship itself, um, it was the first of three ships for Hamburg America Line that were really designed to be their response to the large liners that were coming out of the United Kingdom at the time. So you had, of course, Cunard with its Lusitania, Mauritania, uh, and mm-hmm. later the Aquitania. Then White Star was working on Olympic. They were going to have the, the intended to have Titanic, and um, and of course the the third one, Britannic. And then so Hamburg America were going to have these three ships: the Imperator, the Vaterland, and the Bismarck. Um, and that's different to. Of course, the battleship Bismarck, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's an ocean liner. Um, and this particular one itself, I mean, all three of them were designed um, by a, a naval architect called Ballin, who was quite well known in Germany for um, his work with, mm-hmm. um, with shipping. Um, and the first one in the trio was Imperator. So she was built um, and, and put into service just after um, the Titanic disaster, of course. So um, launched back in uh, May of 1912 which meant that some of the learnings from Titanic in terms of improvements in watertight um, uh, sort of bulkheads and that sort of thing were incorporated mm-hmm. into the design of this ship. And um, it entered service in 1913, in June of 1913, uh, with this giant, enormous um, bronze eagle on its bow. And actually, there's some really great um, images on um the commons which i can i can share with with you so you can maybe pop one in the show notes because it's quite quite interesting to see the size of this thing um and of course as i mentioned before it was uh it was later knocked off the ship and um they replaced it with this sort of very intricate scroll work that decorative work that was done Mm. on the front of the vessel that actually stayed with it when it went into cunard service uh, at the very beginning of its time with with cunard so the ship itself it had, you know, it's a 906 foot long or 276 meter long ship. So by today's standards would be considered sort of mm-hmm. mid-sized, yep. I suppose. Um, and it carried 4,231 passengers, Baz. Wow. So it was a, a ship designed yep. for the immigrant trade. Um, we're talking about similar passenger capacity to some of the largest mm. cruise ships that we have today. And people always sort of go, my gosh, 4,000 people, who could? Who could travel like that? But these ocean liners used to do it all the time. Um, plus an additional, you know, eleven hundred crew. Incredible. So you actually end up with about nine hundred people in first class, close to six hundred in second class. They had nine hundred and sixty in third class, and then they had a fourth class. The fourth class was steerage. So you actually weren't traveling. If you were very poor, you were traveling in this very, very basic accommodation in steerage, which was below third class, which was pretty much considered (laughs) steerage everywhere else, which is remarkable, I think. But um, the ship itself, it had this remarkable interior um, for first class passengers, and they used all sorts of decorative um, work inside. So there was a great use of... um, Marble used throughout, granite, um, heavy furnishings, very, very rich um, interior fit out for for the first class passengers. And due to this and some problems with the ship's overall design and the fact that the funnels were very, very tall, um, it gave her this this remarkable list, which led to the nickname Limperator. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, and was ultimately rectified a little bit later in that same year where they actually cut the funnels down to size. They removed all of the marble, replaced a lot of the furniture with wicker, and actually poured cement into the oh bottom God. of the ship. 
um, to try and lower its center of gravity. I know they filled the they filled the double bottom with cement to try and uh, concrete rather to try and lower it um, lower it down the waterline there, and give it wow. a bit more. Well, that yeah, they were trying to they were trying to lower the center of gravity on the ship so that the the movement of the ship on the water and the way it interacts with its center of, of buoyancy stopped it from listing so much. And you can actually see just go go onto Wikimedia mm-hmm. Commons. Um, listeners should go into Wikimedia Commons if they're interested and just um, search for um, Imperator particularly. Don't, don't search for Berengaria because those pictures don't come up, but Imperator pictures come up. There's a whole range of photographs from the Library of Congress, which are now in the public domain on the Commons, and they show um, the ship in port, and you can see, like with tugboats, you can <laughs> see this list. It's just strikingly obvious, um, which wow. is remarkable. So during World War One, the ship was um, sent to to New York, um, and uh, you know a lot of the German ships were sent to New York and other American ports for safekeeping during World War One because New York was, or America rather was still neutral at the beginning of the war. And when America entered the war, they actually seized the Imperator and a number of others and put them into service mm-hmm. as troop carriers for for the Americans. So she operated as a troop ship for a little while. And um, then when the war ended, she ended up being acquired by Cunard. Um, Cunard and White mm-hmm. Star, as I mentioned before, they, they both sort of went together and acquired these two ships for the loss of both the Lusitania and the Britannic that were um, lost during World War I. And for a brief period, Cunard actually ran her as Imperator in her, with her German name, but she was given a, a very big overhaul um, and was renamed Berengaria and sailed with, with Cunard for the rest of her career as Berengaria. And, um, you know, interesting little um, little side note is that, you know, the the captain of Carpathia, mm-hmm. Baz, um, Sir Arthur mm-hmm. Rostron, he um, he actually ended up becoming um, the commander of, uh, of Imperator when she was using her German name and then later um, ran her when she was... Um, Berengaria. So wow. uh, he became a commodore of the Cunard line and um, the Berengaria became the flagship. So that was the ship that the most senior captains would often travel on board. And when, when Cunard took her and renovated her, did they drastically reduce the passenger count? Yeah. So Cunard never, Cunard did not operate with um, for, fourth class or steerage as a separate class to third mm. class anyway. But in the 1920s, the Americans, there was high unemployment and some problems with um, the economy after the end of the wartime economy in World War mm-hmm. One, and America in, imposed strict quotas on its immigration. And so ships like this with that massive steerage capacity became sort of a little bit obsolete. So what Cunard did actually is they, they ripped out all that interior and rebuilt it as tourist nice. class with yeah. much more space much fewer passengers, and actually focused on taking Americans on holidays to Europe in sort of the, the roaring 20s rather than trying yeah. to bring people. I mean, they still did. There was still immigration. People still were moving, but not yeah. at the same numbers. Um, and the other thing, you know, to remember, of course, is um, because of prohibition, these, um, these ships would quite often be able to do little, um, little cruises um, out of America into international waters and allow people to have a couple of days of 
um, you know, a couple of days with just with the um, the first booze open. cruises. <laughs> so they they were nicknamed, it was nicknamed <laughs> booze cruises. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and, and you know, we're talking about nicknames. It was so funny. These ships they used to have these these weird nicknames. And when Berengaria, towards the end of her career, was operating um, Prohibition, uh, rather booze cruises during Prohibition, she was given the nickname of Bargain Garia because the trip the cruises <laughs> were so cheap. <laughs> So um, there's all these funny little nicknames and stuff. People used to think a lot about the ships and, you know, from, from Limperato to Bargangaria and everything in between. You know? Awesome. Good cruise, good maritime history there, mate. And, uh, of course, kicking that off initially with um, with the fact or fiction as well. So well done once again. Yeah, well done to you. Two out of three. Yeah. Very well Come on, people, we need to get some uh, fact or fictions for Chris. Uh, send them through to me on the website. Well, I haven't had any... Yeah, I haven't had any sent in to me recently really? either. So I'm thinking of these myself, but you know, I need some help because <laughs> you and I talk a lot, and you already you already know a lot about history anyway. I'm so not good. I'm, I'm not good with the bit. details. <laughs> like I, I know the general overall, but when you know, if you change the ship name, I probably wouldn't know. Like of that little bit of Cunard. So oh. yeah. Oh, <laughs> maybe I should start doing that. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a very short break, mate, and then we're going to come back with a couple of listener questions. Be sure to share the podcast on your favourite social media channels. Okay, mate. Let's uh, kick off listener questions. First up, we have got a question from Rob in the UK. Uh, this is actually addressed to you, Chris, but I guess uh, we can both have a little go at it. Chris, mm. is whistling on ships banned slash discouraged? You know, it's interesting because you and I were talking about this before the show, trying to work out what Rob means. Well, by I think his one thing, and you think difference. I know. So. I'll answer my what how I think it. You answer how you think it, and we'll find out from Rob if what's right. Maybe he can let us All know. Especially right. he was actually asking. But I I read this, I I read this as is the whistles on the ships. You know when they're leaving port, oh, yeah, yeah. and they blow their whistle. Is that being banned and discouraged? Because it is actually mm-hmm. in many ports. There are certain restrictions around where and when you can sound the whistle of a ship. What times of day you can do it. Um, if the ship is docked in port in in um in, in a berth nearby to housing it might not be able to sound its whistle the way that they used to um sydney's one example that I, i've i've noticed it and also been been informed by crew members on board mm. the ships that if you're at the um the white bay cruise terminal it's there's much more regulation around sounding the whistle because of the housing that's up above white bay than if you're in Circular Quay, which is in the middle of the city. Well, Circular Quay, you would and, have to sound it for safety you know, reasons, wouldn't you? Like you're letting the other ferries know that you're about you think to move. So. Well, that's the thing. I mean, this would probably this would probably end up being one of my um, what's got you ships if we were still doing those um, little <laughs> gripes because um, I understand completely, obviously, that noise must drive people who live nearby crazy. But at the same time, Ships have been sounding their whistles as a signification of them departing port since the age of steam started. It's not like it's a new phenomenon. So it is a shame sometimes to to be on the ship and it sort of just pulls away and you know sneaks out without anyone noticing it. And I remember on QE2 when she used to attract such a massive crowd of people, but then there was this constant whistle blasts and backwards and forwards between the tugs and the ship, and it was such a, such fun mm-hmm. and. We actually departed um, Auckland Harbour once, which has got, you know, on the Princess Wharf there, there's a Hilton Hotel, and then behind it, there's actually um, yeah, yeah. accommodation, residential accommodation. 
and uh, the people were on their balconies and the ship was whistling and they were cheering. And so, I mean, I guess if it's happening all the time, yes, it would drive you crazy. Um, so I can kind of understand it from both sides, but I do, I do miss the whistles being sounded, the horns being sounded when yeah. the ship set sail. But you had a different well, interpretation. I, I read into it that is it like a, a maritime um, superstition that you know sailors shouldn't whistle? Yeah. Um, and I don't know what the answer to that is, but I just did a bit of a quick Google whilst uh, whilst you were talking there, and it was a superstition mm. um, for for sailors that uh, you mm. know, whistling actually was thought to uh, rise up the the wind and uh, possibly attract bad mm. weather. So. Uh, We've answered it from two yeah, different angles. Well, but um, I would say now cruise lines aren't banning people from whistling on their for superstitious. I mean, in the age of science, you'd think we would be past <laughs> that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I actually thought um, but, I've got this recollection that bananas were banned on ships, but obviously I've seen bananas on ships. So that's not true. But I just googled that as well, and apparently bananas were considered bad luck um, back in the day, so they weren't allowed on yeah. early ships. No, they definitely have them in the. They definitely have them on the I guess they also get off quite quickly, don't they? So um, maybe that was one of the reasons. What you often will find is funny because there'll be like, um, there'll be banana, bananas like in the buffet and stuff in the, so help, help yourself to fruit. And then you'll notice that there's like a, a banoffee pie or a banana cake. <laughs> and then they'll have banana smoothies the following day. And I'm like, probably that is, they've had a stock of it brought on board. <laughs> and then because it, it does, does spoil quite quickly, they've <laughs> got to get rid of it. So they, they make all these different banana you know some people have allergies to bananas oh, there's allergies so to everything now <laughs> i guess they have to be careful let's not go down that there path is, let's uh, let's go on to yeah. the next question <laughs> Fair next enough. thank you rob for that question uh tim in australia sent in the next one chris um this was chris baz i'm looking for a med cruise in 2024 i am cruising for the first time with my wife and two teenage children any recommendations on the line slash ship to keep the teens entertained well, you're the expert here. <laughs> um, well, first things, Tim, you're in the med, so you're going to be in port, if not every day, almost every day. So you haven't got a lot of sea days to worry about keeping people entertained because you're going to be off the ship uh, a lot, visiting all the beautiful ports that the med has to offer. Um, mm. Number two, I would probably go with a line um, such as uh, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, mm -hmm. Carnival, one that's got a few bells and whistles, certainly the new ships. You know, if you're looking at uh, rope courses, you know, we've got roller coasters on some. We've got uh, um, oh. lots of different activities up on the open deck. Um, but a lot of them have a really good, cool teenage hangout. So if they're too cool to hang around with mum and dad, there might be these uh, <laughs> teen lounges or teen mini nightclubs, for want of a better word, um, to uh, to give them somewhere to meet up with uh, people that are at their own age whilst in a safe kind of area. Um, so mm. I really wouldn't worry too much. I would look for a great deal, and there are some incredible deals right now. In fact, we don't often we don't talk about deals because it's very market specific. But um, Sun Princess, which Princess isn't generally known for children and teenagers, even though they do have great facilities, but Sun Princess is launching in the Med in March of next year, and you can pick mm. up some really good bargains. Obviously, it's shoulder season; it's not as busy in the Med, so. Great time to, to go and experience it without all the crowds. But yeah, March, April, you'll get a really, really good deal on Sun Princess, and she's got some really cool features for teenagers too. I'm always surprised that Princess doesn't um, you know, play up their um, family friendliness a bit more because mm. they do have some I mean, they discovery, discovery areas and um, partnerships with, um, with the Discovery Channel, and mm -hmm. it, it, the, their facilities on board are really quite imp impressive. So... Um, and it looks even more so on 
the new ship, isn't it, with that um, family-friendly zone on the top deck? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So some real cool spaces, which have put the cat amongst the pigeons about the, the diehard older princess passengers who don't want that on their ships, but obviously there's a lot of other ships on the fleet that they can continue to mm. enjoy for themselves. Exactly. Hmm. Um, if yourself, you've got a question that you want myself or Chris to answer, jump onto the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, and click on Join the Show in the top right-hand corner. And a reminder, that's where you can also send me a fact or fiction so we can try and stump Chris. Yes, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> now, what mate, you want to do is you want to go to to my YouTube channel and send me one to stump Baz. Because I'm, I'm losing my record here. It's embarrassing. <laughs> we haven't kept a tally, though. We should have kept a tally from day one just to... Uh, to oh, see. we'll have to go back and listen to our own episodes, mate. <laughs> oh, I can't do that. I hate the house. I hate no, the sound of my own voice. Gonna... You have the perfect radio voice. Nobody likes to listen to themselves. I guess that's true, because if, if ever I catch a glimpse of um, of, of the of the podcast, I always think that you sound like a professional radio guy, and I'm sort of just this... This guest with uh, scratchy audio, and <laughs> you do a great job. No, no. Mate, let's take a very quick break, and we're going to jump into the, the news from around the world. Good. Subscribe now and rate and review on your favourite podcast platform. So, Chris, if I was to say to you, <clears throat> mm-hmm. for all that you give, a smile will surely bloom as you brighten the lives of the kids in the room. You can grow the Grinch's heart, bring hope and light, supporting little ones, making their futures bright. What would you think? What line are we talking I think, about? I think that Carnival's doing something with its uh, with its Dr. Seuss connection. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> That's right. So uh, Grinchmas, it's of course uh, July. Uh, Grinchmas in July is back and Grinch has sailed into Sydney Harbour with the aim of raising some significant funds for the Sydney Children's Hospital Foundation. Oh, wow. Mm. And you're sneaky. You didn't put this into the show notes, so I didn't, yeah, you tricked, <laughs> almost tricked me. <laughs> and uh, So what, what, are they, what have they been doing? Um, so basically, they're, they've got the, they're raising some funds on board as they do uh, continuously with the uh, the activities that take place as part of the entertainment on board. But they're also encouraging people that are unable to cruise this month that you can actually make a donation um, via the, the the donation page. I've got a little link in the show notes for anybody that may want to do so. Mm. Um, and they kicked this off um, with uh, a family who have uh, been struggling and, and trying to recover from cancer since just being mm. five days old so there's a nice little oh uh, s- survival story in amongst it but yeah, yeah an opportunity if you're able to do so to make uh, a bit of a difference to the sydney children's hospital foundation remarkable well thanks for sharing that hmm. next up uh, azamara we're talking small ship chris uh, they're heading back to canada mm. in 2025 yeah they've released 73 itineraries for the year uh, um, in this latest uh, round of releases. And uh, they're actually going to be doing some brand new voyages, visiting Canada for the first time since 2017, Baz. I know, I know. I, I don't know why. I just assumed that they were always there. But I guess they do spend an awful lot of time in the Mediterranean. That's one of their big focuses. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's great to see them, them heading back. They're also talking up their double night stays, giving opportunities for people to enjoy two nights um, in one particular destination and a destination that happens quite a bit is in Bordeaux, France. And uh, the beauty Mm -hmm. of Azamara is they can get right up the river there and be in true Bordeaux without being too far out of town. I'm also talking about that in Seville, but I guess that big focus there is all around the the six Canadian ports and they've given us a little lowdown Mm -hmm. on three of them. Yeah. I mean, in fact, they've even got two maiden calls in ports in Quebec and one maiden call on a port in Newfoundland. So Mm. they're, um, 
you know, not only returning after a, a hiatus, but they are broadening their, their reach by having maiden calls as well. Cap Umul, I think, is the, the first one in Quebec. We've got, why did I even start this sentence? I can't pronounce any of these. Lands O'Meadows in Newfoundland and um, Havre. I think it'd be Havre, wouldn't it? It's usually La Havre in yeah. France. So, yeah, something like that in Quebec. But please, if you're, if you're from Canada and you're French speaking, please forgive us. <laughs> send us the audio of how you really should pronounce it and uh, staying with uh, our french uh, oh no <laughs> french language <laughs> french friends our friends at uh, pernant have announced that le pernant the beautiful little sailing yacht is actually in the kimberley as we know uh, right now and is heading back to europe at the end of this year um she's been the first sailing yacht to obtain relais chateau status mate yeah and this is the first time that a sailing yacht has been given this uh, label and been fe- featured in their collection of um, exquisite travel destinations. Mm, that's right, because Relais Chateau is generally reserved for hotels and fine dining mm. restaurants uh, where normally family-owned operated establishments really get to showcase the best of uh, hospitality in their region. Yeah, And I guess that ties in really nicely because Ponant really does uh, you know, showcase uh, cruising French style, I guess, on uh, mm-hmm. Le Ponant. It's a beautiful yacht, uh, very chic, very elegant. Very uh, à la française, I guess. Unique ship, isn't she? Mm, she's yeah. Beautiful. Have you been on board? I have not sailed, but I have uh, walked over her a couple of times actually. Ooh, um, when she was nice. in Nice, yeah. She even before oh, the refurb, nice. she was beautiful. But uh, they've reduced the passenger count, and she's looking very, very nice indeed. I actually learned something about um, Pernod's uh, newest ship, uh, actually, as well. That they've got the underwater. Um, it's the blue room underwater viewing. Oh yeah, yeah. Lounge the Explorer Sisters, so, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure we've spoken about it before, but it slipped out of my mind. And not, funnily enough, the latest video that I'm just about to launch onto YouTube actually mentions it. And I was ah. like, "Wow, that is remarkable!" And that that you know the um, the juxtaposition between that and Le Ponant as their first and their their sort of um, historic ship is just so remarkable. Mm. Um, yet it works so well within this one well one company, this one brand. I think because it has that sort of French style that links all of the different ships together. Mm. No, it is. It's uh, it's beautiful, um, and the blue room is incredible. Like I can't, I can only imagine being you know somewhere with beautiful crisp clear waters, sitting mm. in that blue room, and uh, they've got the I, I don't know what the technology is called. It's got a technical name, but they've got microphones in the hull of the ship, which mm-hmm. pick up the the sounds of the ocean and the passing marine life, and it kind of reverberates through the furniture whilst you're in there. It's it's really yeah, yeah. unique experience. These um these images of the of the room. The, the furnishings look very custom designed, like bespoke. Yeah. So I guess that's, that's something to do with it, yeah. So well done, Penant. Um, next, we're talking uh, all things Holland America, and this time we're talking mm. about a solar eclipse. Now, you've just done a solar eclipse cruise yourself, mm, not in yep. Holland America. It was on P&O here locally. Uh, but uh, yeah, Hal are talking up all things solar eclipse on board the Koningsdam and the Zandam. Yeah, I know. It's a Northern Hemisphere solar eclipse 2024 that's taking place. Um, and, you know, similarly to what uh, P&O did down here is that they're going to have a, a lineup of, um, of guests on board to be talking about, um, about the eclipse and about uh, sort of what, what you can expect to see and how the, the eclipse actually takes place because it's a lot more complex than, than what I knew before I went on um, – mm. The, the solar eclipse cruise here in Australia on Pacific Explorer. Um, the path of totality, so for our trip, of course, it was um, 
it was up in Exmouth in Western Australia, but this time next year it will be um, off the coast of Mexico. Mm. And it's a pretty thin, you know, like in the direction in which the eclipse is passing over the Earth, it's thousands of kilometers long, but the width of the eclipse is quite narrow. um, And so they have to get the ship just in the right space. And that's what um, actually you'll find that some of the um, astrophysicists and astronomers on board will help with the crew to sort of work out the best place to put the ship, yep. which is um, quite a quite a unique uh, thing. It's uh, it was quite special. Mm. So if anybody's listening and wanting to do this, you can do the Koningsdam on the fifth of April, twenty twenty four. That's a twenty two day solar eclipse voyage. What a nice duration that is. Um, you mm. are leaving San Diego, and you will be uh, off the coast of Cabo San Lucas on April the eighth mm-hmm. for the eclipse. Whereas if you want to travel on board the Zandam, you're looking at a departure of 30 marches of 14-day solar eclipse cruise from San Diego. Mm. And in this instance, you'll be off the coast of Mazatlan. So, yeah, two yeah. nice experiences. Obviously, the eclipse day itself will be the same day, and the two ships will just be doing other yeah. other stuff around that as mm. well. Mm. Yeah. Should be good. Next up, we're talking all things Seabourne. And uh, as we know, Seabourne is well regarded when it comes to all things culinary. But they're taking things up a notch, mate. They're actually going to be introducing two new menu items per week over the course of a year. Yeah, I love this as well because the the ships are so sort of boutique and you know exclusive that the the main fine dining venue on board the ships is called the, the restaurant. restaurant. <laughs> which I think is just brilliant because instead of having like two, five or six different types of restaurants, it's like in Seabourn. The, what you get in the restaurant is going to be something that you're definitely going to write home about. So, um, and this is a, an addition of, of these extra um, dishes will just further enhance what is already a remarkable menu. Yeah, definitely. Of course, the restaurant is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, we've got those two new menu items entering into the menu every week for uh, for the best part of a year. So over 100 new recipes will be cycled uh-huh. through the ship, which is uh, pretty incredible. And they're also introducing, <clears throat> excuse me, um, introducing or an expanding sushi offering um, as well. So uh, good to see that in uh-huh. the sushi in the club. Sounds good. Now it's time to talk all things Coulard Mate, a, a brand, of course, very, very close to your heart. And when I read this news, I instantly thought of you um, because <laughs> we've got quite a few uh, theme cruises taking place in 2024, and one of them yeah. should be right up your alley. So have you got an invite to the 400th Transatlantic Crossing? I hadn't, actually. No, I haven't been invited yet, Baz. Mm, come on, Coulard. I think but you need, uh, I must... need Mr. Frame on yeah. the sailing for sure. I must say, the 400 voyages is definitely um, is definitely something to celebrate, and it just shows Queen Mary Two now has really got it's a, it's got a history of its own. It's been doing these transatlantics pretty much solo since Kiwi Two retired in 2008, um, and is a remarkable a remarkable ship. So yes, if um, if anyone from Cunard's listening and they want me there, I would love to be able to help celebrate that. But there's a heap of other theme voyages and. You know, you've twisted my arm to talk about Cunard again, Baz, but <laughs> here we go. Um, and Queen Mary II is actually paying uh, – she's, she's looking after four of the seven um, theme voyages are on Queen Mary II, um, three of them on um, Queen Elizabeth, and then, of course, they're going to have the last one, rather, um, on board uh, Queen Victoria. So there, there's a whole range of different um, you know, themes for what might suit you as a passenger, from literature, festivals – through to sporting themed cruises 
to, through to an Australian culinary voyage, which is specific when Queen Elizabeth's in Australian waters. They've got the Big Band Ball, which is, of course, something that they do every year on the Cunard ships. Um, and they also have London Theatre at Sea, which is a, an eastbound transatlantic crossing and something that they've done sort of in the past with that connection with the London Theatre. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it sounds like quite an exciting array of programs coming out in 2024, Baz. Yeah, we'll just quickly skim through them. They're all in the show notes if people want more details, but the first one kicks off in June. That is the London Theatre at Sea, uh, an eight-night eastbound transatlantic cruise. Then November 24 sees Literature Festival at Sea, which is a westbound transatlantic. Um, then we've got, of course, the, the 400th Voyage, which is actually taking place in August. That's a New York through to Southampton. Um, we then move into the National Symphony Orchestra Voyage, which is a nine-night eastbound transatlantic. That's unusual. Oh, mm. Transatlantic's normally seven. Yeah, well, I mean, Queen Mary 2 could do them in five, so they're already yeah. um, adding extra time in there for, for, for you. But yeah, they usually do them in seven. Sometimes they do eight, but nine is um, a slow one. But I think probably because it's a themed voyage, they want to get all that entertainment in. Right, right, fair enough. Um, you, most, you most likely find it's too much for just the seven nights. <laughs> we then got the sporting greats on board Queen Elizabeth in January 2024, which is very quickly followed by the Australian Culinary Voyage. Um, in January on Queen Elizabeth as well, and then the Big Band Ball on May, um, which is actually taking place in Japan. It's a circumnavigation, which is uh, pretty impressive. That's pretty, yeah, it's cool. And look, I mean, the Cunard Queens are as popular in Japan as they probably are even in Australia, um, mm. Baz, that it's very much loved there. So it makes a lot of sense to have these these trips um, in these different areas, Australia having one, Japan having one, and then, of course, the transatlantics as well, which is... Uh, Cunard's bread and butter, I suppose. Now, you can't choose the 400th, but if you could choose any one of those uh, voyages other than the 400th, which one would you choose? Oh, you're putting so many restrictions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> only one. Um, only one, and it can't be the ooh. 400th. It's a good one. Maybe I'd do the Big Band Ball Voyage because sailing around Japan is just so beautiful. Um, such a fantastic place to to visit and to visit by sea. Mm. Um, we've been there once on the Queen Mary too, and it was just just the very beginning of cherry blossom season, so we didn't get to see oh, okay very much. But um, uh, it just and and the the welcome you get on the ships there um, is, is so sort of like it feels like back in the day when people would come out to view the ship as you were coming in and out of port. Yep, and I, I miss that. So yeah, that's probably the one I'd choose. But that's only if the 400th is not available. <laughs> um, well, it's giving you going you? on that one anyway. So, <laughs> Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm so, Daz is now... Um, I'm now your agent. <laughs> He's now my agent. <laughs> well, okay, so what about you? Um, I was quite taken by the big band as well, but I'm going to go with a culinary. Um, I do quite fancy having a steak in the steakhouse that has been prepared by Karen Martini, who's uh, mm-hmm. quite a famous chef down here in Australia. So, uh, yeah, that'd be uh, my little... Nice little short yeah, paste. Yeah. Nice. Good choice. Mm. And that, I reckon we should just do them all. <laughs> if only if only we had the time. Uh, sorry, I was gonna say another little bit of um a little bit of news that popped into my um my inbox that oh, yeah. that I'd kind of overlooked is that Aida has just um switched on their connection up to Starlink now. Oh okay. um, from their ships. So um the three ships in the fleet now have the antennas fitted. Yep. Um, that's Aida Blue, Aida Bella, and Aida, Aida Stella. Um, so they're moving ahead very quickly with um, their 
sort of integration to have better internet on board the ships. Yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of cruise lines are embracing this, aren't they? They are, you know, and it's interesting because we're talking about like obviously the benefits of of um, of internet connectivity with with Starlink, and then um, I've been listening quite a lot to another podcast, um, Star Talk, with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and quite often they're talking about the impact that all these low Earth orbit satellites are having on the ability to see the galaxy, and um, it's interesting that um, mm. you know with the the two sort of things with that, and also with the sort of the um, the astrophysicists and stuff on cruises, the, the kind of clash of priorities there. But I think um, we've really got very much the problem, I suppose, on cruise ships, particularly nowadays when people want to stay connected, is that the internet connectivity has been so poor. So, you know, technologies like this definitely do help. Um, and uh, a lot of the cruise lines, not just um, AIDA, are, are taking up this opportunity to have better, better connectivity uh, for passengers when they're at sea. And I guess that means that if you're working sort of remotely but you want to be able to travel as well you can pretty much do anything you want on the ships if you had a good uh, quality internet yeah yeah i'd be keen to hear from any listeners that have sailed on a ship that is using starlink and see if it is as good as uh, as claims um obviously oh. it depends on where in the world you are because starlink doesn't cover every uh, location but uh, it certainly covers uh, most of the northern hemisphere and certainly down here in australia uh, we think we're covered as well so yeah be be good for someone that's just write in and tell us how it was you know, it's interesting. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe you either agree or disagree, or like a little bit in between. But sometimes, and particularly on the plane, it's actually quite nice when there isn't internet. As like a yeah. um, sort of, you get sort of almost kind of sucked into you checking emails and using it, and then you're like, well, I could have had that. When you're flying long haul, you could have had that sort of 12 hours of just um, <laughs> being switched off in a little cocoon for a while. But yep. uh, um, it's harder on a ship, obviously, because you're away for longer and a lot of people like to stay in touch with friends and family, and uh, you know, myself included. Yep. Um, and particularly if you're working on ships like like you and I do, yep. um, being able to access them. I remember the days back in the day when you'd pay pay for a package and it would be on on minutes <laughs> and you spend the half your package just logging in and logging out yeah. wouldn't you <laughs> yeah it was uh, it was pretty poor like 20 dollars to log in basically <laughs> hence all the crew used uh, to be hanging around uh, uh internet cafes didn't they yeah and actually i i still remember um just sort of 2000 it must be 2009 maybe um we we pulled in at um, Pango Pango on Queen Mary two, and the crew there was no there was no good cellular phone service. So they had these like rooms ashore that had were full of pay telephones. Oh really? And all the crew were like in the pay telephone place, <laughs> <laughs> making these calls and pouring all these. Um, quarters because it's an american territory putting all these quarters into this machine and you hear ching 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 and then trying to make a telephone call to their family back at home because there was no not only was there no internet in that part of the world but there was no reasonable cellular service i mean there must have been something for the locals but um in terms of international roaming it just wasn't it doesn't exist at the time (laughs) yeah and then you fast forward to now and be on a medallion ship with princess and the crew will get complimentary uh, internet to use throughout the 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 contracts so yeah things have definitely progressed in the right direction i actually had such a great experience with with medallion on um, coral princess Uh, i know um you know for some people it takes a little bit getting used to but um from from the way the tv operated through to that um, the internet, as you mentioned, and just how the connectivity was so strong throughout the ship on my particular trip anyway. Yeah. 
which was provided by Princess, and we did cover it in the um, mm-hmm. in the uh, in the podcast. But yeah, it's uh, sometimes when you go to that, and then you go back to um, other lines that don't have that level of um, ease of connectivity. It does feel a little bit like a step back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, mate, before we let you go, you tease us with a uh, a video um, that is uh, either about to to hit YouTube or we'll do so over the weekend. Mm. What have you got planned for us? Well, one of the most searched terms when it comes to cruise ships, can you guess what it might be? Um, about about the ship itself rather than about a cruise experience. Oh, okay. About the ship. Uh, probably something to do with propulsion. Close, yeah. It's um, actually what is under the waterline, if you can believe it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, I've decided to take up the um, take the baton on that one and uh, and uh, share some insights into what actually is beneath the waterline from both the outside and from the inside. Of course, that does cover propulsion, but there's much more to it than that. There's a lot of other things that the ship um, has beneath the waterline and also a little glimpse inside some of the -the behind-the-scenes areas on the inside of the ship because a lot of interesting stuff happens below passenger decks, which is, uh, you know, where they drive the ship and do a lot of their storage and that sort of thing. So, you're interested in that it should be by the time the podcast goes up it should be on my channel Excellent. at um, youtube.com slash chris frame official well that link is always in the show notes each and every week so uh, if you can't find it folks jump into the show notes click on it it'll take you straight there and it'll be the first video that is at the top of chris's youtube page um chris thank you let's uh call it a day mate let's uh go and let's enjoy uh, what's left of the weekend and uh, we'll chat uh, same time next week and i might just have planned something ready for the, the 150th. <laughs> Well, maybe we should try and do a live one if we can. Okay, let's let's a deal. Let's do that. Yeah, we deserve a beer. (laughs) That sounds good. Okay, let's plan it. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.